it's Gilbert Gottfried. Welcome to Behind the Scenes with Brian, your go-to podcast on old things mining. Welcome to Behind the Scenes with Brian, the podcast covering everything from engineering, mining, and mine waste management to whatever else may be on our minds. Pop in your headphones and don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share. And now, here is your host, Brian Ulrich. This is Brian, and this is Behind the Scenes with Brian, and today I am joined by a guest who wrote a pretty interesting article recently that kind of captivated my, captured my attention, and I thought that I would reach out and see if we couldn't get him on the podcast, and uh, Nathan, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, Brian, thanks so much. Thanks for inviting me to be part of this. So my name is Nathan Manzer and I work as a senior lecturer at Michigan Technological University. And my home department is in geological and mining engineering, but I do quite a few different things at the university in terms of working with the first year engineering program, as well as just the general administration of, of students in the geological and mining engineering pathway. But most of the courses that I teach deal with some some aspect of geoscience and the intersection of engineering. So basically applying that science knowledge to solve society's common problems. Oh, okay. Well, why don't you why don't you back up just a little bit and tell us a bit about your uh, developmental years and your college career? Yeah. So I actually am working at my alma mater at Michigan tech so i basically in i guess it was my late teen years i had some some experiences in the high school level with earth sciences and geography and i kind of knew that that field or that discipline was for me and so i sought out universities that were close close by me in northeastern wisconsin that had kind of this engineering overlap with with geosciences and that's where i came across mining engineering as as a possible pathway. And so at the age of 18 or 19, I kind of knew that mining in the mining world was something that that interested me. The large scale aspects of the problems that are being solved was really interesting. And so I, I pursued my bachelor's in engineering from Michigan Tech. And then in, in that process, I, I kind of developed a secondary um, admiration for this idea of sustainability and basically mining's impact on the environment and how there has to be a way to to problem solve that aspect as well, and, and so I, I kind of went down the this pathway of the extraction sciences, the extraction industry, but trying to do this in, in the lowest impact possible, and so that really got me through into my first industrial job out of out of college, working for construction and aggregate producers. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So Michigan Tech is on about the northernmost part of the UP in Michigan that you can get. Do you know how and why it got put there? Yeah, so the city that Michigan Tech is located in, Houghton, Michigan, 
basically part of its industrial heritage dealt with the extraction of native copper. And so due to the, the ancient geologic processes that happened locally around here, copper actually formed in, a, in, a, in an elemental form. And so it was able to be extracted from the earth in very simple but energy intensive processing. We could basically get raw copper material that could be used to fuel the industrial revolution and so the whole area here kind of in the upper peninsula what we have this occurring deposit of, of native copper which basically put the this local city on the map in many ways and then the yeah. persistence of the ore body kind of initiated this the the start of a college for mining locally right. here. yeah in, interesting interesting and and so you you earned your PhD from Michigan Tech as well? No, so at, at one point, after about seven years in industry, I had failed to make that connection to the environmental side of things, and it was kind of calling to me still. And so I, I made the choice to go back into graduate school from industry, kind of leaving the industry aspect behind. And I, and I went strictly right into an environmental engineering program. And it was a really great opportunity, actually. It was in conjunction with the, the Masters International program with the United States Peace Corps. And so for part of that experience, I was able to go serve as a Peace Corps volunteer in Mexico, working with um, communities there related to natural resource management work. But that experience really forged my um, desire to, uh, like for research and development, but then also looking at community development aspects. And so from that, that area, I transitioned into a, a doctorate program in environmental engineering, trying to kind of close that gap between um, the extractive side of things and, and the protection side of things. Yeah, good good for you, not only for the education, but also going the, the, um, the Peace Corps route that uh, must have been a really good experience for you. Yeah, Mexico is an amazing place, not only culturally, but biodiversity as well. If you're looking for destinations where you only have to travel, you know, maybe half a day, you can encounter very unique um, biodiversity and ecosystems. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I've spent quite a bit of time in the mining hubs of Mexico, mostly in the northern half of the country, I would say. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so this recent article that you had published, it's the title of it's an algorithm for demonstrating, demonstrating the social license to operate. And that really reached out to me because it doesn't seem like something you should be able to automate. And so right. it, just, uh, it intrigued me. So how did you come across the idea for this? What were the, what was the seeds of this idea? Yeah, and really, like, I think a lot of research and kind of development and innovation is kind of standing on the shoulders of existing information. And so one thing that I've noticed with my time and experience and then making the or my time in industry and then making the transition back into academics, I noticed there's a big disconnect there. So many academics right now are really working on problems to address things like sustainability in the earth sciences we're developing tools and developing different understandings on how to interact in a sustainable way with society and politics and cultural aspects 
but there isn't an easy way or, or a logical way for this to happen for a mine operator, for example. And, and my motivation, I don't think, was maybe for the largest mine operators in the world. I think they have all the resources in the world, um, quite literally, to to develop their their social license. But it's the smaller smaller companies that may not have the resources or or just see the connection between data that they're already collecting as part of their typical management cycle and how that data can be shown or used to say, hey, we are we're operating in a socially responsible way. You should develop trust with us. And I feel helping those companies make the connection with the public is is really important. I don't think mining is going anywhere for for the future, right? The the demand for for minerals and and resources is is only increasing. Yeah, and I've had that discussion many times and a lot of people think that we can recycle, reuse and repurpose. And certainly we can, that's part of the equation. But when you have a growing economy, it's impossible to solve all of that without mining. And when you've got, uh, say, roughly a billion people in India currently without a cell phone, that's that's a lot of metals just needed for a billion cell phones. And I, I just made up that number of one billion. So, sure. But it's probably not off by that much. And I think the, the life cycle of a cell phone isn't anticipated to be more than a year or two anyways. And so that, that number just continually repeats itself. Right, right. So we the, the mining industry is under uh, ever growing um, social pressure and especially we're kind of under a global microscope now because of some of the horrible mining accidents that have taken place in the last few years right and so it's, it's things like this that are really showing promise and, and it really is the social buy-in the, the buy-in of not not just the people in the neighboring properties, not just people who are invested in the company, but it really is a global issue. And I, I think your uh, the, the thoughts behind this really go a long way um, in, in creating something that's easier. It, it, it's more transparent. It, it, it offers a lot of transparency. Right. Yeah, and I feel it's an algorithm, right? So whatever goes in, something's going to come out. So that doesn't necessarily equate into trust or, or some of these important parameters that companies need to develop with with all of their constituents. But I think that people around the world, they're, they're increasingly focused on ensuring the products that they purchase are provided in a, or produced in a responsible way. So in one way you can do that is Right, some some sort of accounting system that basically documents how your company operates across these common common themes that are really important to demonstrate sustainability. Yeah, right. And I, I should point out that I became aware of this article in uh, Mining Engineering Magazine, uh, a recent I can't remember, but it's from this year, 2021. Anyway, and you should. We should probably acknowledge your co-author on this as well. Yeah, right. So not even this work is not even possible without my, my co-author, Catherine Marler, who is currently a PhD student here at Michigan Technological University. She's actually doing some really interesting work right now. So she's she's her focus is in the geotechnical, geological engineering side of things and using um, remote sensing aspects to basically understand 
tailings impoundment failures and, and using those sensing techniques to to basically develop early warning systems yeah fantastic and nathan can could you just describe in a nutshell how the algorithm works yeah so essentially you basically have about 16 different categories that the the company or or the 16 different indicators that the, the company would collect data on these indicators are all wrapped into three themes either social ethics or environmental aspects of sustainability and then based upon the values that they select for these particular arguments you'll get a basic score and this score then can be used to compare against basically benchmarks of an existing mine or if you have large mining company with several operations in it this algorithm can be used to show that operation x performs at a more corporate socially responsible level than operation y does and so basically these 16 indicators that range from things like how well do you train your workforce to how much of the local materials that go into the mine site are, are locally produced and then even things as obvious as water consumption and energy consumption. So all these little different nuggets of information are brought together into a corporate so, uh, social responsibility index score that can be used to evaluate any project against an existing benchmark, essentially. And are the, the uh, scales or the importance or the influence factors predetermined or is that something that each different operator could set for themselves yeah right exactly so for the algorithm to work you basically have to assign a system of weights yeah. in terms of what's important to your operation or what's important to your management goals and so those are basically not set in stone so those are something that the management team themselves or or the user of the algorithm would have to sit down and basically rationalize what, what are acceptable weights for you or for your operation. That makes a lot of sense because some of the um, impacts or, or indicators, I guess, would be influenced regionally differently than, than um, from, from region to region anyway, they'd be weighed differently by society. Yeah, definitely. I think the local context there, that's how you basically can adapt this algorithm to any any scenario without a predetermined weighting system. Yeah, yeah. It does require some work up front then for the user. Right, and in some ways this reminds me of a, a multiple accounts analysis, which is also used to sort through complicated um, alternatives to rank and score uh, and to be able to find what are the most suitable options for, for whatever you're looking at. Usually we're looking at places to put tailings. And so sure. we'd have things in the indicators like uh, environmental uh, costs and, and things like that. And so it, it does seem to have some similarities to that. Yeah, yeah, I really do feel it's it's mostly an evidence-based procedure to say yes or no. We, we, we demonstrate social responsibility and maybe it's not good for demonstrating this year, but 
maybe some changes in the organization or, or focusing on some of these key indicators in improving that score over time can be all, all the difference between being able to demonstrate that you're, you're socially responsible as opposed to just saying that you are. Right, right. So, so what, is, what is your plan to try to get this into popular use now? Yeah, and so from my perspective, I, I deployed in, in the courses that I teach. So one of the courses that our sophomore engineering students take is basically this overlap of mining systems and then how those systems impact everything outside of the technical world. And so I'll use this, this framework as an assignment to, to basically help those students visualize this, this algorithm, but then also put it into action. So they'll, they'll physically construct in a spreadsheet or some sort of um, algorithm solving, problem solving tool. They'll, they'll create a program where the score could be calculated. And so part of the part of the approach is training the newest engineers, the engineers that are going out into the field within the next three to five years, right? Arming them with these tools so that once they get into that decision-making aspect of the, the workforce, maybe some of this will surface again um, and then mechanisms like the journal, right? That's that's our best way to kind of get it out to industry folks. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully uh, when conferences start happening um, live again, although the, the remote ones have been pretty interesting and helpful, hopefully you can take this out to some of the conferences and present this. That, yeah, definitely. That's a great idea. Yeah. yeah, I think I think it's something that should get a little bit of traction if it's said enough times and in the right places. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, Nathan, you've uh, well, one of the reasons that I have this podcast is make make to make me a little bit smarter and it feels like you've made me a little bit smarter already today so i appreciate that yeah great yeah yeah and uh you know it's been great catching up with you and understanding the um the outcomes of this process um i think i think it can be really useful so if somebody wanted to try to figure out how to run this what would they do would they reach out to you or to Catherine or what's the best step for them? Yeah, definitely. They could reach out directly to me at the, at the email provided in, in the article itself and yeah. we may be able to provide that as well. And so what happens is we have working spreadsheets or Excel-based spreadsheets of this algorithm already set up and ready to go. So it could be just as easy as sending them that Excel file or if they've, if they've attempted to build one themselves, we love critiquing those and, and helping people make their files run better. So, oh, that's great. That's yeah. great. Okay. Okay. Well, I, I, uh, I, I think we've covered all the questions that I've had. Did you have anything else to add? No, I don't myself. I think it's just important to, to stress the fact, right. That mining is a permanent part of the economy and we need to figure out, um, these zero impact ways for extraction and it's possible, right? I think mines, they, they deplete themselves, but the industry itself, it, it's always innovating on itself. So finding that next innovation step is, is critical and we can't just continue to feel 
that the old methods are, are the way to, to, to move forward in terms of extraction and beneficiation and things like that. I think the horizon with microorganisms it is, is expanding all the time. Yeah, that's, that's great advice and a really good takeaway too. We can't keep doing the things that we've been doing for the last hundred years and expect that we'll be given our social licenses for the next hundred years. Right. Oh, constantly re-earning that, right? Yep, yep, yep. Always constantly improving. Yep, that's uh, very good. Nathan, I really appreciate your time today, and um, maybe I should just have another couple of questions for you. The the uh, pandemic has been upsetting to a lot of educational systems, and a lot of people are doing remote learning. Is that mostly what you're doing at Michigan Tech? Is remote learning? Yeah, and so by this at this point, we, we're kind of in a hybrid model right now. We're being as flexible as we can with students. And so as long as the class permits some some level of accommodation, the student has the choice to be in person or remote. But when it did when it started initially, we were all in a remote remote context. And that's really it's challenging about 50% of the time, I would say, because some classes are, are lecture based and those transition really easily. But other ones, there's a lot of hands-on problem-solving techniques that are solved. Even just learning how to use a computer and new software has been challenging. Yeah, and of course, some of the labs would be essentially impossible. Yeah, essentially, not only because of just the restriction on the capacity, but then also in terms of resources and funding, if that makes sense. So a lot of those support services are kind of were frozen. In, in this moment in time and so it, yeah. it's hard to to yeah. spend money to run a lab as well yeah yeah and hopefully the all of the educational systems will come back to normal in the autumn this year and we'll be back um, operating like we were before if, if maybe with a little more care even in the social distancing and that sort of thing but uh, we'll get this pandemic behind us and we'll look back and, you know, have grown stronger for it. Yeah, definitely. I think the, the hard part is, is, is mostly over. Yeah. It, it feels like it. it I know does. Everybody, everybody's tired of it and everybody's kind of forgetting about it and causing some outbreak issues here and there and hopefully things normalize soon. Yeah. Good hope. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, Nathan, I appreciate it, and I will let you go for now, but uh, hope you have a great day, and I hope the rest of the semester goes well for you, and I hope you have some enjoyable spring-like weather up there. Yeah, thanks so much, Brian. It was great talking to you today. You too. Thanks, Nathan. Bye now. Well, that's it. I'm Brian, and this is Behind the Scenes with Brian. Until next time, keep on rockin'.